Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. On today's episode, Liz and I have the honor of talking with Dr. Jacob Hess about what you can do when you just don't feel the romance anymore. We also dive into a discussion about what's hijacking relationships today, as well as unrealistic expectations in marriage and where they come from. Jacob also opens up about what he learned about marriage after watching his mother endure 15 years of cancer treatment. Dr. Jacob Hess holds a doctorate in community psychology and is a mindfulness teacher and writer focused on exploring long-term sustainable healing from depression. He serves on the board of the National Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation, is the editor of Public Square magazine, and is the author or co-author of four books, including Once Upon a Time, He Wasn't Feeling It Anymore. Jacob is a contributing writer for the Deseret News and has helped create online courses and apps to help people pursue deeper healing from depression and anxiety. Jacob lives with his wife, Monique, and their four boys in Paradise, Utah. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey friends, the doctors are in the house. Welcome to the Stronger Marriage Connection podcast. I'm Dr. Dave here at Utah State University, alongside Dr. Liz Hale, licensed clinical psychologist, and we are bringing you the best research and resources, the tips and tools to help you have the marriage of your dreams. Okay, I I couldn't be more excited than I am today for our guest, Liz. This is a, a dear friend of mine. We've worked together on all kinds of projects. He's one of the best writers I've ever met. He's written uh, blogs and magazine articles, newspaper articles. He's also a master when it comes to mindfulness and meditation and marriage. So welcome to the show, the one and only Dr. Jacob Hess. Hi, Dave. Thank you. Hi, Liz. Good having you. Good having you, Jacob. Hey, Jacob. um, You know, as a relationship scholar, I have studied some of the common reasons for divorce. I look at relationships and marriage and divorce and what's happened and what's happening currently in relationships. Some of our latest research is showing that growing apart, quote unquote, growing apart is one of the top or two or three reasons when it comes to um, what couples are saying, you know, what's happening in their relationships. Why are they separating? Why are they divorcing? So I want to ask you just, just right from the get go, what is it, Jacob, from your perspective that is hijacking relationships today and causing them to to drift apart? Well, my conclusion on that question comes from watching couples who are really excited about each other not feel that anymore. And I interviewed um, a 
a number of bachelors years ago, and they were telling me things like, I was head over heels for this person. I just couldn't stop thinking about her, calling her, texting her. Then all of a sudden, I just it, it all dried up. So the words they would use is, I just felt nothing anymore. I just had no affection. One per, another person said, my heart would start to dry up. Another person said, my affection would die over time. My feeling had faded, then it just drops off. And if you ask these, mostly men, although the same thing would happen with women, um, ask them why, they would say something like, it just wasn't right. I guess the relationship wasn't right. But something felt off about that. Like, what is going on? You have this beautiful couple, head over heels, then all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, it just fades. And my own conclusion, you know well, both of you know all the external factors that impinge on relationships, finances and stress and all this. But whether we're talking about singles who are dating or a married couple, I started to get intrigued at the stories that uh, these couples were carrying along when it comes to um, how they're supposed to feel, how their attraction is supposed to unfold, and how, uh, how another human being is supposed to meet our needs. All those things are kind of like an invisible influence. All the other stuff that we study and in research, we can measure and track, but I was intrigued that the narratives of romance in particular, and we could also talk about narratives of beauty and physical affection, but in particular, the story we tell about romance, I believe is crushing really good couples. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't just mean Brad and Angelina. I mean, even normal human beings that don't look like demigods. They can't even survive it. It's so it's- interesting. I'm smiling because, oh, I've been on the other end of a, of a couple of men saying that to me because I'm, I'm married late in life, Jacob. I remember my 50th birthday, I got a happy birthday email. And then in the text, this just isn't working out. <laughs> so, so I, I think I know what you're saying personally. I really get that. And it, it was a good thing. It really wasn't meant to be that particular relationship. But it can be crushing, right, when you really don't understand it. So I love that your good mind has been studying this and helping us. For, okay. for so many couples. Go ahead, please. Well, thank you for saying that. I just wanted to add that we hear this kind of thing when it comes to body image. That's probably where people hear this the most, like, There was an APA study that came out that showed more and more men were becoming uncomfortable with real bodies and women too. Like, like, you know, the story we tell about beauty, we've had a lot more attention focused on that. What I'm proposing is that we need to do the same for our story of romance, what what it is we're supposed to feel. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's beautiful. So they're really getting to the, the realism, right? What's realistic? What does it feel like? What doesn't it feel like? Right? Because I think there is a lot of unrealistic expectation, just like body image, beautifully said. For so many couples today, there's this expectation that romance should be intense, right? Immediate and constant, never, never wavering. How does that expectation, Jacob, affect couples and 
what is more realistic, as we were just saying? Yeah. Um, let's start with the word constant you just shared. There's a study out of Spain that showed 65% of people reported believing that the intense passion of the early stages of love, if it's real, will last or should last forever. So that is surprisingly common. One person told me, if human love ever wanes, then it wasn't love in the first place. So like this idea that it's supposed to be like continual, like how interesting, like where did that come from? Is that true of any relationship, <laughs> any human relationship? And then what is, and then the intensity thing, um, you, you both know Stephanie, uh, what's her name? The historian. Kuntz, she writes, this is a great quote, she writes that our modern Western society is the first and only culture that has come to expect the intensity of romance all the time as the basis of our marriage and love relationship. So it was fascinating to start to look into the history of where this comes from. Um, Rousseau was a philosopher many, many years ago. He was one, he was one of the first that asserted that, quote, a single human being could be experienced as embodying the greatest good and be worthy of the sort of love that was formerly reserved for God. So it's this idea that a mortal human being has the responsibility for making our lives whole, keeping us happy, making our lives meaningful and tense. This isn't how human beings have thought about romance, not for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it's just taken for granted now among many people in our society that our partner is supposed to fulfill us at a level, at like a deep level of meaning and purpose. And almost, and this, this is not me who said this, scholars have been writing about this, almost in a way that substitutes for where faith used to be for many people in society. So like... Here's the role God is playing for me. No one can play that role, right? We all know that now uh, increasing numbers of people are looking to their romantic partner, their boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, as, as if they, they should somehow meet all these needs. And, of course, the secret is that wow. a human being can't. <laughs> and if That's you ask them to, to it might yeah. crush it. Yeah. It's a very tall order for anyone. It's rather daunting. And you can't help but wonder, is that why some of the marriage rates are going down? I mean, maybe. We don't really know, right? But that's daunting to think of that kind of responsibility for another human being. We'll be right back after this brief message. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. And we're back. Let's dive right in. You talk about the lightened expectations in terms of love and, and romance. What do you mean by that exactly? Um, well, it's going the other direction. So just to underscore what we've talked about um, really briefly, there's a philosopher at King's College in London. He summarized it like this. He says, we expect love to be a journey for the soul a final source of meaning and freedom, a key to the problem of identity, a solace in the face of rootlessness, a redemption from suffering and a promise of eternity, or all of these at once. And then he says this, and this is really the takeaway. In short, love is being overloaded. So the lighting, the lightning thing is just saying, okay, what if we didn't do that? What if we you know, if we really are being hijacked, it's sort of like the hijack movies. You can fight off the hijacker, right? You don't actually have to be hijacked. Say, what if, what if I'm, what if we could allow our relationships to be human and allow our partners to be a human being? And, and so like, uh, as I started to look into examples of this, I found these beautiful quotes, like a, a, a man who'd been married for 40 years with his wife, who described never really feeling fireworks, but feeling completely at ease. Um, there's a, um, there's a, an Italian writer who talks about tranquil affection. And there, Eastern cultures have a lot more of this where they love each other with great, great warmth and with, with devotion that sometimes puts us to shame, but it's not the romantic love that we're used to. So my wife and I, we didn't fall in love. We grew in love and it's been a growing building thing that always felt there was peace though and comfort together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that, that idea, Jacob, that idea of, uh, growing in love because we do, we kind of, we talk about this falling in love or falling um, out of love. I, I love a lot of what you've written. I mean, I just soak in a lot of the stuff that you've written. One of the things that you said is it's important to let go of you, you call it, call it an imaginary ideal. You know, this, this, an inspiration or this, this aspiration that no one actually achieves that we bought into this story that we see in the, in the media. Tell us more about that. Well, we all like to joke about what Disney has done to us. <laughs> you know, the, the fairy tale, the fable, but there's really something to it. Um, the poet Rumi, uh, Persian poet Rumi says, put away thoughts of imaginary things and stand firm in that which we are. Um, there was a day in which I had some conflict with my wife and I remember sitting there, we were, we were new, we hadn't been married that long. And as I sat there, just let myself get really quiet. 
the strong impression came, see your wife, just see her. And I think that's, that's a contrast to the story. The story is, this is who she should be. This is how she should be acting. This is how I should be feeling in this moment, right? And how dare she not, da 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 And, you know, either partner can say this. You know, getting caught up in a story that's very demanding on her or on him. And, and, and I like how th- this idea that we can just see our partner as they are, rather than as, how, as they're supposed to be in the story, or as they're not. And I think I, I've tried this with lots of relationships. As you actually let yourself be with the person that they actually are, you can start to glimpse beauty and nobility and human qualities that are really admirable that you may, that may not be on whatever cultural list, right? Um, and that's when real love starts to grow. Uh, in fact, my all-time favorite quote, Scott Peck, is from his book, A Road Less Traveled. He says, in the very moment when love starts to wane, he says that, no, no, in the very moment when the intensity starts to wane, that's when true love can begin. Because you're not just driven to love each other by your physiological, like, you know, you meet all my needs. Yeah. And lovers are like, it's really about you. But if it starts to, you know, settle down like it does for everyone, then we can choose and say, I want to prioritize your well-being. I want to show you how much you mean to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I, I find that a wonderful way to get out of the hijack. Say, no, I'm going to choose to be there for this person. It is. Wow. I, I work in my private practice, Jacob, a, a lot with infidelity recovery. And it's often what I hear in the relationship with the third party is this whole belief of, I like how you make me feel about me, right? That's what drives them. It is very self-involved, right? I like how you make me feel about me. And I suppose that is this whole driver, as you're saying. Well, I saw a story the other day from a, an actress who has all, you know, everything you're supposed to have. And she said in the article, I actually copied this quote. She said, I want to love and be loved. And sometimes the company of a beautiful man can feel like a sort of love, can't it? For a fleeting moment, I absorb it, then it's gone. But then she says this, it's a heart-numbing thing when so many men desire you, but none love you. So here's somebody that's got it all. She's like giving everything you're supposed to, and she has men everywhere. And she's essentially saying, I'm not, people don't actually see who I am. I'm not feeling. um, So yeah, the story doesn't actually deliver. The story, if you actually chase it, it may not actually bring you what, what you think. Yeah. And, and it really is about both of us, both sides, understanding what love is, right? Does she, would she know love when she saw it? Clearly, she feels something is missing. They desire her, but she doesn't feel loved. Oh, it's, it's a fascinating topic. <laughs> it really is. We have to understand love, though, right? Know what it is. 
to, to receive and to give. Would you agree? That's right. Absolutely. It's not just about one partner's story. It's about both. My experience is, though, if you, if you are if you are coming from a place of seeing someone truthfully instead of as some player in a story, you're inviting them to do the same, sort of like a karma effect. Love that. From your perspective and your interviews, Jacob, how is the experience of of true love, as you were saying, and romance supposed to be? What are we going for? I like I like to contrast the sort of physically oriented, self-absorbed uh, love with something that is full-souled, like whole-souled romance where uh, someone loves your mind and your heart, not just how they feel around you. And you are intrigued by their mind and heart. I think um, there's something about being in the presence of someone who you just feel uh, not only their full attention, but you feel held in in affection, right? This happens in a beautiful marriage. It happens in beautiful friendships where you're just like so at home. And yeah, I have friends that think my ideas are crazy, who I feel this from. Like I have political opposites, who I feel like this deep affection. Like it's just, it's just so, it's like an, an in love sort of thing. That's off topic. I love it. Yeah. Do you, do you, <laughs> don't want to get into that. Okay. So now, let me, I, I want you to get really practical for me because I think there's a lot of listeners right now who are listening, think, feeling like, you know what? I, I kind of feel like I've lost that love and feeling that um, I, I just don't have that anymore. How, how do I, where do I start? How do I get that back, this deeper type of love that, that we're referring to here? What, what do you recommend to them? Well, you know, in a lot of other domains of life, like my boys just started to practice the piano and they're not good at it at first, but the more they like spend time pouring into it, they get better and better. And we sometimes think that love and romance is very different. You know, it just either hits you like this lightning thing, you either have it or you don't. But Barbara Fredrickson, her research, uh, uh, she talks about micro moments of love that you can have that just build and nourish a kind of momentum. And uh, I, I love the book, The Love Dare. It's kind of cheesy a little bit, but 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 this idea that once a day, like one once a day, you do something that even if it's just a little micro moment that reinforces a new kind of momentum. Right. And it might not feel in that moment like it's shifted everything, but it's like moving in a direction. And then you can have what the neuroscientists call an upward spiral rather than the vicious cycle where it's like all pulling down. You start to build a new kind of momentum. So one example in the love dare, my favorite, favorite thing they, they challenge you to do. And by the way, you do this without your partner knowing it. It's not like, right. hey, honey, I'm on day nine of the love dare. <laughs> that's, the best, that's the best part about it, yes. And it's a secret. And you can come up with your own. You don't have to read somebody else's. You can be like, 
10 things I'm going to do. My favorite one is they talk about how when we greet someone, sometimes we just get so casual. It's like, you know, like nobody walked in the room. And they say, experiment with when you come into the room with your partner, you convey your excitement at seeing them. You know, like little kids when dad comes home or like, like when it used to be. And I've tried this with my sweetheart. And it is a surprise to our partners when we actually show, hey, you know, like, like you, it's you. And, um, <laughs> and that, that, that's just something so small. But if we do those little like small things over time, a new kind of momentum can grow. Sadly, we are sometimes happier to see the dog, right? Yeah. Than other yeah. than each other. Yeah, I've the, heard the that so many times. Yeah. So many times. I wish you treated me like the dog sometimes. You're so good at the dog. You're so <laughs> oh, you oh, so, yeah, exactly. You're so enthusiastic when the dog walks in. Yeah. Oh, when you walk in. Uh, so, so well said, Jacob. In, in one of you, your books, you tell the story when you essentially ask your cousin, right? Why is it so dang hard to just love each other? Heard that so many times myself. What, what have you learned about the question since then? You know, love is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be obvious. It's supposed to be like something we can all do like on the fly. And I think at the root of that question, Liz, was a growing realization that love is none of those things. Like, <laughs> it's not just this easy, well, what's wrong with you? Because, for instance, a couple like me and my wife, we sometimes felt wrong because we didn't have a story that was just easy. And couples that feel like they have to work on a relationship, sometimes they get looks from people like, what's wrong with you guys? You know, you're having to work on your relationship. <laughs> like, so, so it's been a healthy awakening for me to say, yeah, love's supposed to be um, more than that. That, that's part of the story. It's part of the story that we need to kind of say, look, we don't need, we don't have to just follow that. What if love was a practice? You know, I'm a meditator and uh, I'm, I'm a really bad tennis player. You know, like there's these practices, they take time to hone. But what if it was like a beautiful craft that all throughout our lives, we're like honing this ability to show love generally, but especially to our partner. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Then rather than, oh, Dr. Dave has to work on his marriage. What's up with them? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. You're like, no, 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 he's honing this craft. And then we look at everybody else yeah. and we're like, you're not working on your relationship. What's wrong with you? You know, like, then it flips it. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Anyway. Hmm. Um, Jake, I'm going to, I'm going to turn personal just for a minute. Um, your mother was diagnosed with, with cancer at the age of 40 and um, she endured treatments for 15 years. Can I just ask you a personal question as a, as a son, uh, watching your mom and dad going through that, um, what did you learn about love and devotion and, and commitment and hard times just from, just from observing um, your mom and dad in those interactions? Thanks for the question. Um, my father, later on, after mom died, she told me that it was really, really hard. <laughs> you know, he was always the rock, but that was hard. Her body changed and and she became a, a whole different person. Like uh, 15 years of chemotherapy 
But what I learned the most is dad in that moment, he loved her more, not less. In the, in the very moment when I later found out that whatever needs she wasn't meeting, right? <laughs> I'm sure it was more difficult for her to be there for him. He was there for my mother more when she was struggling. And I think, and you know, like imagine if, if every relationship where one partner is struggling, they felt more, uh, more support. And that was just such a, a lesson from my dad. Um, I wish every son and daughter <laughs> had that yes. lesson from their yes. father. Isn't that true, though? That devotion, that love. Mm. Beautiful. And that, that feels like a different type of love, right, Jacob? The, the things that we're talking about, this isn't the firework type of uh, this infatuation that often draws people together. That's the commitment love, the enduring love, the the small, probably acts of kindness and service of the, you know, long nights and mornings and long days of the, of the hard, hard work and love, love takes work, right? I just want to call it true love. <laughs> yep. True love, true love. Real, real love. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because, because imagine if we were chasing after that, Dave. Imagine if that was like the real prize. The like, yeah. It's like, and people are asking questions about your relationship. Like, have you have you found that yet? Versus, you know, no, no. You're supposed to be all over each other and just head over heels, and you can't stop staring at each other. Like, oh, oh, that's just early. That's that's nice. Yep, but wait until you get to the real thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it's almost like, let me just take this as another step further. It's almost like you can't quite explain it until you've, you've lived it and been, been through it. Because that infatuation, it's actually a good type of love, right? It draws people together. It just doesn't keep them together if that's the expectation that it should just be, um, you know, honeymoon type of feeling all of the time. And, and so it's a... It's a type of love, I think, that you're, we're talking about that is that's experienced and it's felt more than it can be um, expressed, right? Yeah, well said. Maybe that's why they don't make movies about it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That would not be a romantic comedy, would it? Yeah. Have to call although, it. although I, I correct myself, if you've ever seen The Painted Veil with Edward Norton, um, it's one of the best examples. If you're looking for a date night movie, it's an example of what we're talking about. So, so hmm. there have been a few. <laughs> yeah. 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 The painted veil. I yeah. see it. I don't know. I need to put oh, that so good. It's, it's just what we're talking about. The, uh, the real deal. Yeah. The yeah, real deal. Great. I love that. So often I think I bet every single day in my practice, Jacob and Dave, I hear, you know, I love him or her. I'm just not in love with him or her. Probably there's a misunderstanding of what love is, right? And I love what you said when we, when you change your behaviors, your feelings typically follow. Like the Love Dare book, you, you do things, and I think it teaches your, your brain and your heart. It's like, wow, I'm doing this. I must really love this person. It softens a heart as well. So I absolutely believe that we can deepen love. I, lo I, like, I like what you just said, and I appreciate you sharing that first. It almost feels like there's a difference between loving a, a person and loving a particular idea about love. Like there's a there's an image of love that we can fall in love with, that we can want so bad. We want to have that feeling so bad that it's that 
if the individual in front of us is not giving it to us, they become an object. Like they're getting in the way because I know that I, I deserve this. This is something that I, I, I know I can have. It's sort of like a fear of missing out. And here I have you instead. <laughs> it's like just you. And, and that's, I, I hope that contrast could be helpful because it's like, well, what do you really want to love? Is this story of romance really so, like, has it seduced you so far that you're willing to toss this person aside as some barrier on your pathway to your grand fulfillment? Or could it be that the very person in front of you, this human being, that has their own challenges could be the pathway to the deeper love. That's been my experience. Um, and the very moment where a couple is, is, is asking themselves that I hope they'll ask questions like this. And I hope that rather than just following the passion, they'll follow the peace. That's what the Buddha said, follow the peace. And there have been some moments in my life when the passion pointed in one direction, and the peace pointed in the other. And it can be so scary not to just follow the passion. But if you want to have a lasting marriage, you better learn that lesson. Follow the peace. Passion, passion comes and goes. And, and boy, if you follow the passion, you're going to have quite a, quite a disruptive life. <laughs> that might be the best pre-marriage advice of all times is to follow the peace. Jacob, thank you so much. In your mind, what is the key? Do you mind, please, in closing up here, to a stronger marriage connection? The key for me is to allow the other person to be a human being. And by that, I mean, have mercy on this person. Be patient with them. Let them get frustrated. Let them get stressed. Let them get sad. Let them get anxious. Don't expect them to be the deliverer of your soul, the source of all meaning and, and, and joy in your life. That's not fair to ask of another human being. So let him be a human being. Mm. That's, that's my pre-marriage advice to people and post-marriage. <laughs> yeah, I really like that, Jacob. That's, that's good. Now we're gonna have to bring you on for another episode. Um, talk more about like mindfulness. You're like the mindfulness um, master. We've had um, discussions um, about this in the, in the past, Jacob. But, do you have any kind of like a little, um, I don't know, a little tip or nugget or anything when it comes to mindfulness, meditation and awareness and this other version, this love, anything that you could tie in from your perspective on mindfulness into what we're talking about? Well, with mindfulness, when we're working with something like addiction, it's really helpful. I've got this surf wave behind me. It's really helpful to think about surfing the urge so you can... You can surf something without following it. You can feel something without following it. And every marriage also has waves that they have to kind of ride. If we learn to surf them instead of fight them, instead of control them, letting yourself experience moments that are sad, that are scary, that are frustrating, while still staying connected. I think, I think it's a profoundly beautiful practice, kind of a Zen practice. In fact, one of my mindfulness teachers says, you know, after a long meditation retreat, 
we're getting done with the retreat. And he says, now, if you want the really advanced mindfulness practice, go spend time with the people you care about. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, think about our relationships mm-hmm. as a practice, as a mindfulness mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, man, just a great discussion. I love what we talked about so far um, on this episode here, Jacob. Before we let you go, we like to ask our our guests what a, a takeaway of the day is for you, just from our discussion or anything else you want to emphasize for our, our listeners to take away from today. I think there are possibilities in our present relationships that we can't see right now. Hmm. And rather than imposing a story on our spouse or even other relationships, let each moment with somebody else be new. Let, let ourselves be surprised by new positive things about, about the persons we are with. You've taught me this, Dave, with all the strength stuff that (laughs) you share, you know, be surprised instead of constantly foisting a story on everybody around us. Hmm. Let people breathe. Yeah, that's my takeaway. Yeah, that's great. Liz, what about you? Oh, those perceptions are powerful, aren't they? Mm-hmm. My gosh. I love my takeaway is this tranquil, tranquil affection. Oh. Tranquil affection. That I have never heard that term, and I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> and I feel so tranquil having just been here with you and Dave. Yeah. It, it's very Jacob's, soothing. Very soothing discussion. It is. Jacob's voice, I'm telling you, his voice and his, his demeanor. Oh, I'm going to have all my clients uh, turn to this particular podcast and interview, Jacob and Dave. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Um, you know, this, my takeaway of the day probably comes back to um, not, not the dog, but my mind is thinking of our dog named, you know, Max and just how excited he is when I come. Uh, walking in the door, <clears throat> but it's really to take something as ordinary in your relationship and to make it extraordinary and kind of just you know, be intentional, be aware of just the common little comings and goings and, and take time to say thank you or just a three second hug just to squeeze each other and to make a bigger deal out of the out of the mundane things because those are the small moments of connection that we need to, to emphasize. Um, those are those little micro moments really in in life and in our marriages, we can't let can't let those pass pass by. Uh, Jacob, I'll let you have the last word. Anything else um, for you and our listeners to know today? No, no, I just enjoyed what you both said. I was just listening, so thank uh, you for having me on. You're lovely people. Oh uh, well, thank you. Thanks so much for for joining us today, and thanks to our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stronger Marriage Connection podcast. We'll talk to you later. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, it's the small things often that make a stronger marriage connection. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore and what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at StrongerMarriage.org 
where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.